today on Ag News Daily. Rural development, our mission is to help improve the economy and the quality of life in rural America, um, which is really those are our farming communities. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Another Ag News Daily podcast here with your hosts, Delaney Howell and Mike Pearson. Mike, I woke up this morning and we had snow covering the ground and I was not excited about it, but it's finally starting to melt off now. Did you guys get snow overnight there in Chicago? We did. It actually didn't come overnight. It was snowing this morning when I woke up and we wound up when I was out walking the dog with, gosh darn it, close to two inches in downtown Chicago, which is, which is plenty. There was a 50 car pileup on one of the interstates coming into the city today. So I think folks have kind of forgotten how to drive in snowy weather. Yeah, well, we didn't have really too bad of a snowy winter. So, you know, I had the small feeling that Mother Nature was going to throw some sort of just last minute winter weather our way. And it appears she is. But I think next week temperatures are supposed to warm up. And so we'll hopefully see some more planters getting into the fields. I think you're right. I've talked to a lot of folks and they are camping at the bit, Delaney, to get out there and start putting seeds in the ground. We are at that time of year. We certainly are, Mike. We certainly are. We're also at the time of year where people are applying anhydrous or fertilizer, getting things ready to plant. And I've got a quick update here on retail fertilizer trends, because as we know, fertilizer, you know, fluctuates pretty heavily. And looking at this year's prices compared to last year's, substantially lower than where we were in last year's fertilizer prices. Hopefully that comes as no surprise to anybody. But uh, average weekly fertilizer prices continue to be mostly higher here throughout the full week of April compared to maybe the five-year average. We're seeing fertilizer prices across the country averaging about 275 to 280 per ton, but we did see as high as 409 in uh, seven different fertilizers, which were priced pretty high compared to last month. So it's that time of year, prices are fluctuating, and we are seeing fertilizer fluctuate as well. Yeah, and Lane, just so I can understand what you just said, <laughs> basically we're lower than last year. Lower than last year. Higher, higher than, than the five-year five average. average. And uh, higher than last month. Yes. Which makes sense, despite the uh, the huge discount we're seeing in petroleum, which, of course, is what we use to make a number of our uh, fertilizer products. Uh, basically, we still got to get that product out to the farmer. And, you know, supply chain hiccups are running rampant this year, which is probably putting upward pressure on prices. Yeah, absolutely. And um, speaking of upward pressure, we're also seeing downward pressure when it comes to the ethanol market. We saw the weekly EIA energy report was a little more bearish, I think, than what the trade was expecting. Mike, did you see this report to come out today? You know, I saw it cross my desk, but I haven't had time to read it. Delaney, why don't you give us the, uh, I was going to say highlights, but perhaps they're all lowlights. I mean, let me just paint this perspective for our listeners, because you can't see the chart that I'm looking at, but this chart that I'm looking at has all of the last five years on it, and most of them are fluctuating at about the same levels from the months of September to August for the fiscal year, except for this year's, which is pretty, you know, similar patterns for the first September through March time period. Then we see April 
literally take a complete nosedive down. And so we saw crude oil, gasoline, and heating stocks were all much higher than what was to be expected, but the ethanol industry has been cut in half in a matter of only four weeks. The, us the U.S. usually produces between 1 and 1.1 million barrels of ethanol a week. This past week, we saw it drop down to 570,000 barrels, so literally a cut-in-half production, which is not positive for the corn markets. No, it's not at all. And we're definitely seeing that in corn prices. Folks, I am looking at the same chart Delaney is. And if you want to take a look at it, this is from the uh, Energy Information Administration. This is their weekly chart. I'm looking at production in the Midwest, which is really where the bulk of this production happens. I'm going to share it on our Twitter feed right now. So head over to Ag News Daily or at Ag News Daily on Twitter. If you're... Uh, huh, if you're a masochist, I suppose, and you want to take a look at what has happened with ethanol, when we talk about basis bids falling apart in the Midwest, cutting ethanol production in half, that's going to do it. So that is the news there. However, we are seeing some news that might be somewhat bullish for the wheat market. Hard to believe it. Today, we saw wheat down significantly despite being up in the overnight. However, there is chatter that we are starting to kill this wheat crop due to freezes. Um, basically, early this morning on April 5th, is it, today is April 15th, right, Delaney? Yes, it is. All these days blur together. I know. But early this morning, the temperature in central Kansas dropped down to 23 degrees. It hit a low on the 14th yesterday of 21 degrees, and the day before it was down to 19 degrees. There's a grower, uh, Mr. John Schlesinger, who mentioned something we all talk about when we talk about wheat. He says, they say you have to kill the wheat crop three times before we harvest it, and I'd say we've made a fair start of it. Um, we know we have very small wheat acres. We know we have phenomenal demand for wheat-based products in the grocery store. If this freeze ends up being a killing freeze, and we'll know here in a couple of days how this wheat crop is going to react to it, this could be something that maybe starts a little fire under wheat and potentially, oh gosh, fingers crossed for my corn growers, that strength in wheat could maybe carry into corn. So we will be keeping an eye on this story. That cold weather that brought snow to the Corn Belt last night is definitely bringing freezing temps to wheat country, Delaney. Absolutely. And as you mentioned there, Mike, wheat has seen significant demand when it comes to consumers and the grocery store. We've also seen pork be a pretty significant in-demand product at the grocery store. However, as we've reported earlier this week, we've seen now Smithfield close its doors indefinitely and have seen some quick analysis put together about how much this could provide some flux to the cash market. We are, I guess, expecting from the USDA. Their numbers are showing that we could see a direct influx of cash without eligibility restrictions as the industry is expecting to lose $5 billion for the remainder of the year just in the hog industry alone. I thought that was a huge number. Yeah, it is a big number. It is certainly something that uh, really takes your breath away. It is. And we also saw even further than that an analysis of the pork sector from the months of March until April by Iowa State put together that producers will lose nearly $37 for each hog marketed for the rest of the year. 
Whew, boy, I tell you, when you're shipping out, as some of these guys are, 2,000, 5,000 hogs per yeah. week, that figure dollars up very quickly. And Delaney, did you mention the total number, that $5 billion loss? Is that what you just said? Yes. Oh, boy, I tell you. I mean, it's such a staggering number that it, it's almost hard to grasp. $5 billion in an industry that is in incredible demand at the grocery store. Consumers are craving pork and beef. And I think as this thing moves forward and we start to see these stimulus checks go away and folks' final paychecks coming to an end, if I were a gambling man, I would say more consumers are going to be craving pork due to its cost advantages over mm -hmm. beef. But it all kind of depends on how long this thing drags on. Yeah, and speaking of stimulus packages, you might want to check your bank accounts if you do direct deposit with the IRS because you will likely have received your, what I'm going to call, $1,200 Trump bucks. Mine were in my bank account this morning, so if you met those qualifications, then they'll probably be in your bank account here within the next couple of days, if not today. Absolutely. And just a quick reminder, because I know a lot of your listeners might be somewhat like me, they're looking at 2018 taxes, if those are on file, and they should be by now. And if you don't qualify in 2018, they're also looking at 2019. However, if you're like me, and you're taking advantage of the delay in filing, you're not going to get paid. So get those taxes done. That's on my agenda for the rest of today, Delaney. Yeah, Mike, we're now uh, working on another year of taxes. So have you not done those? Well, we're in 2020. I haven't filed my 2019. Oh, yet. okay. So you filed I your 2018, right? 2018, right. I just oh. don't qualify for the money, but I do in 2019. So I got to yeah. make sure that those taxes are in there. Well, all of my uh, stimulus package dollars went to paying my 2019 taxes. So really didn't win anything there. The Ouroboros of government money. Listeners, look that up if you're unfamiliar with Ouroboros. <laughs> I'm going to have to look that one up myself. It will open your eyes, Delaney Howell. Um, I've got some news here. This is a big picture piece of bad news, but it is a local piece of good news. And I think we all need a bit of good news in these times. And this is showing how farmers and ranchers are making a difference for our urban consumers. Uh, one of the big things we have seen is that farm groups have come together in recent times, well, in recent weeks, really, to donate incredible sums of money to food banks that affect their area. We've seen the American Farm Bureau donate, I believe it was $100,000. Iowa Farm Bureau donated $100,000. We're seeing cattlemen, we're seeing pork producers, we're seeing regular farmers reach out to their food banks. And if there's a way they can help, perhaps it's donating half a steer, perhaps it's donating some ground beef, they're taking advantage of it. And we've got bad news. I don't know how many of our listeners watched the uh, CBS Evening News piece last night. Delaney, did you see it? I didn't see it. It was last night or the night before. Again, my days are all blurring together. But there was a piece, and it was talking about how um, we've oversupplied for production capacity, uh, which is true. In dairy, when we shut out the schools, all of those places that make the little tiny milk cartons have no place to go with it. In the pork market, when a plant that produces 4% of the nation's pork shuts down, all of a sudden, we've got supply chain issues. However, CBS made it sound as though farmers were intentionally dumping milk or culling their herds mm -hmm. to drive prices higher. So we've got bad PR, misguided PR coming to us from the public, and yet farmers and ranchers are out there in the countryside actually feeding our neighbors, which is great news. And I think it's worth celebrating. And listeners, if you have the ability to donate 
time or money or food or, you know, toilet paper because stockpiled um, to a local food bank or shelter. Check it out. A lot of people are hurting right now. And I think it's great, even if we don't get credit for it, people remember who helps them in a time of need, Delaney. Yeah, I would agree that you are right there, Mike. But I have just one other piece of news here for those of you who are filing for the Paycheck Protection Program. You might want to do that like today if you can, Uh, because according to Larry Kudlow, Trump's top economic advisor, that $350 billion of forgivable loan programs that they put forth for small businesses and farms and self-employed people for that matter, is on track to run out of money as soon as Thursday or Friday of this week. He said that they have seen unprecedented signups. The numbers have been fantastic. And they're still trying to determine and push another $250 billion to be funneled into that program. But that, of course, has to receive congressional support. And we don't have that yet. But that is what we are seeing so far. So people are definitely taking advantage of that fund while it is available. Absolutely. And if you missed our interview with Glenn Birnbaum from last week, I believe it was Wednesday, Delaney? Uh, yeah, Wednesday or Thursday. Yeah. Head to our website, agnewsdaily.com. We talked with Glenn, who is a CPA and tax advisor out of Illinois, specifically about how farms can qualify for the Paycheck Protection Program. If you haven't discussed it with your lender, do it this week. Like literally hang up. Well, mm-hmm. don't stop listening to the podcast. <laughs> Because we've got good news coming from USDA, or at least important news coming from USDA later, and then call your lender. Uh, Talk about signing up. Talk about getting this forgivable loan. We all need help with cash flow right now. The government's offering it. Check it out. See if it'll work for you. But check out that interview with uh, Glenn Birnbaum from last week. Absolutely. Delaney, I just have one other piece of news, and it is definitely coronavirus related. It's not necessarily ag related specifically. But it definitely touches on some of the concerns we've seen in agriculture. Earlier today, we had from the Commerce Department their monthly tracking of retail sales. Basically, what are grocery stores, department stores, gas stations, car dealerships, Amazon, you name it, how were sales in the month of March? Well, not surprisingly, they were terrible. In fact, retail sales hit a record low. It was a record drop in month-to-month retail sales. We saw retail sales down 8.7%. Economists were predicting we'd see it down 8%. So it was bigger than we expected. And they were shocking numbers. Uh, Car dealerships are destroyed. Clothing sales were off 50% month-to-month. Gas station sales were down phenomenally. I don't have those numbers right at hand, but... There was a record spike in retail sales. Delaney, do you want to guess what store Mm. saw record retail or jump in retail sales? Can you give me a hint, like what sector it was in? They use agricultural products. Oh. Uh, Tractor supply. I don't know. Where consumers go to find agricultural products and buy them. Yeah, like tractor supply or Tyson's or something like that. Uh, Close, but uh, grocery stores, actually. Okay. So the place where we get our products out to the consumer saw incredible sales. We've talked about this on the podcast. People were basically fighting each other for the the last shipments of beef. But just to put it in perspective, the previous record jump in grocery store sales happened in 1999, heading into Y2K when people were freaking out about that. And uh, 
grocery stores saw a 5% jump in sales. That was the previous record. That was huge. That puts all the other records to shame. In March, retail sales at grocery stores jumped 26%, blaming nearly 27%, now that I'm looking more closely at the figures. That is why we saw grocery stores running out of beef, running out of toilet paper. We have never seen this many people go to the grocery and stock up for their time spent in quarantine. So I think this helps kind of shed a little light on what kind of stress the food system was put under mm-hmm. last month. Well, I mean, if you think about it too, grocery stores are one of the few things that are kept open in I think all states. So it's like if you need to get out of the house, you don't really have a lot of options of where you can go right now in grocery stores. I mean, I know myself, uh that's like the one exciting thing I get it to do you know, every two weeks or whatever it is, go to the grocery store because I can't go anywhere else. Right. It is kind of replacing the bar as a place to socialize. You go to the I bar, mean, hey, there are my neighbors. Let's yeah. stand away and chit chat. Right. Hey guys, in case you didn't know, when I'm not hosting Ag News Daily, I'm helping out with the Iowa Farm Bureau's Spokesman Speaks podcast. If you're from Iowa, you're probably familiar with the Spokesman newspaper. It has the largest readership of any ag newspaper in Iowa. The Spokesman Speaks podcast is essentially an extension of that newspaper, reaching farmers and ag professionals on the go with the stories that matter most. In this week's podcast episode, we have Iowa Secretary of Agriculture Mike Neg talking about Iowa's water quality progress and Charlie Arnott of the Center for Food Integrity sharing the most effective ways for farmers to respond to the challenge of imitation meat. The episode also includes interviews with a group of Iowa farmers who recently completed a tour of Brazil's agricultural sites and infrastructure. So if you'd like a first-hand account of what's happening in a country that's one of our biggest competitors, you want to make sure you catch that episode. You can find it and subscribe to the Spokesman Speaks podcast in your favorite podcast app or... Go to iowafarmbureau.com slash podcast. Well, Delaney, I am all out of news with that Commerce Department update. Do you have any others or should we talk markets? I do not. Let's talk markets. All right, folks, let's do it. And boy, in the grains, despite starting higher in the overnight session last night, we saw phenomenal selling return during the day session, and all the grains are lower on the day. Starting with corn, the May contract was down six and three six and three quarter cents at five nineteen and a quarter. December new crop down three and three quarters to close at three forty-two and three quarters. Soybeans also lower. The May was off a nickel at eight forty-two even. November new crop down five and three quarters to close the day at 8.59 and three quarters. In the wheat market, the May contract was down eight and a half cents. Chicago wheat, they closed at 5.40 and a quarter. December new crop down eight cents, finishing the day at 5.54 and a half. Looking over at the world of livestock, it appears the trade thinks we found value here in the meat markets and we're a little higher on the day. In live cattle, the April contract was up $1.02.50 at 9472 half. The June up $1.02.50 as well. The close at 8482.50. Feeder cattle, mixed trade. The April was down 60 cents at 115.80. The May up 72 and a half, closing at 115.57.50. Lean hogs also mixed on the day with that front month still under pressure as we try to figure out what is happening with these plants. April was down five cents at 45.60. The May, however, strong bounce. Up a dollar forty-five, closing at thirty-nine 
1.45. Taking a look over at the dairy market, dairy was higher earlier in the day and it ended up closing higher. April was up 4 cents at 1368, with the May up 12, closing in at 11.16. Delaney, let's kick it over to our interview and learn about what programs the USDA has on offer for our farmers. Well, we are continuing to talk about the impact and responses because of COVID-19. Today, we've got Betty Brand, who is the Deputy Undersecretary for Rural Development at the USDA. Betty, first of all, thank you so much for joining today. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here with you. Betty, before we talk about USDA's response to COVID-19 and what they're doing to help out farmers and ranchers all across the U.S., let's talk a little bit about your background and how you came to find yourself as Deputy Undersecretary for Rural Development at the USDA. Well, thank you very much for asking. So I um, have had a long career in agricultural lending, um, almost 36 years with the farm credit system in um, an association in Virginia. And then in 2000, right at the beginning of 2018, I was um, hired as the administrator of the Rural Business Cooperative Service. And so I did work in one of the agencies within rural development and um, did that for two years, a little over two years, and also was an acting administrator in the Rural Utility Service within rural development as well. And then about a month ago, a little more than a month, um, I became the Deputy Undersecretary of all of rural development. And it's just a real honor to serve in this capacity and work with the great people that work with rural development. And Betty, for those of our listeners who are aware of the Undersecretary for Rural Development, Explain to us a little bit more about what your branch focuses on, because as we know, the USDA shook things up and added multiple undersecretary roles. So what does the rural development one focus on primarily? Well, um, rural development, our mission is to help improve the economy and the quality of life in rural America, um, which is really those are our farming communities. So we help uh, rural Americans and tribes through our support and investment in business and economic development in community facilities, housing, and also in infrastructure, which includes water, electricity, and broadband. So we work really closely with our rural leaders, um, community leaders, and also the lenders and the borrowers who make all these projects, um, who work on all these projects in our communities. Okay, gotcha. That makes sense. So as you fast forward and look at current day today with COVID-19, we've of course got the CARES Act, the stimulus package that's been passed. How is USDA or how are you going about deploying that money or how are you going to go about deploying that money to rural America? Yes, both within rural development, we received uh, funding through the CARES Act, this last round of the CARES Act, in um, three of our program areas. We received $100 million in our ReConnect program, which is um, a very popular program that has helped provide uh, infrastructure, the rural broadband, throughout our rural communities. And so the notice is just going out to, um, to that second round, or the window has been extended so that more people can apply for that um, $100 million and more opportunities. So that will be available very soon. And then as well, we also got $25 million in grants 
for our distance learning and telemedicine program. And so we expanded the application, or actually we set a second window open that will end on April, well, excuse me, will start on April 14th and go until July 13th. And in addition, we got the $25 million in grants for the distance learning and telemedicine program, which will also be available to rural communities really soon. And that's really, those grants are really, really helpful for um, rural communities, especially now when social distancing and trying to um, keep space and keep um, removed from any possibilities of exposure. So um, th this grant helps people, provides funding for broadband transmission facilities, helps buy audio, video, or interactive video equipment, um, also helps with computer hardware or networking components and software and um, also does other infrastructure, provides money for infrastructure needs, which would help communities or individuals provide, um, well, they, it's available for government entities, federally recognized tribes, nonprofits, and for business businesses as well, and helps provide either distance learning for colleges, for um, school systems, now that schools are out in many of our states, and also for the telemedicine for people to have access especially to routine care or access to, to their physician without having to drive long distances. And then finally, the, the third component um, of the CARES Act that, that the rural development is administering is in our business and industry guaranteed loan program. Um, this is helping any business of any size in rural communities and towns and of less than 50,000 people, and that program is um, the notice will go out um, probably next week, which will describe this will help those communities, um, any of those businesses and communities um, to help finance their refinance their operation or for restarting business operations. So we know how important it's been um, a real priority of rural development to get these programs up and running and available so that we can help our rural customers. And Betty, as you look at programs like this, maybe not necessarily even during COVID-19, but just in general, how do you go about at USDA putting together programs like this, communicating with other undersecretaries as well as Secretary Purdue about what programs you guys decide to move forward on or allocate grant money or loan money for? Well, certainly um, the decision of the funding for all of these programs comes from um, through the, the budgeting process, through the, the president submits the budget, and then, of course, Congress ultimately decides on the uh, funding to appropriate to each of the program areas. And, and I do know that many stakeholders that benefit from these programs and, and understand the needs of rural communities express those needs and do a good job of communicating with our elected officials and with USDA to help make sure we understand what really goes on in rural communities. Likewise, in rural development, we have uh, area offices. Each, each state has a state director, and then within those state offices, there are also area officers. And so our rural development team, a good bit of them live out in these rural communities and work in those communities and are really good at understanding the needs of the community. And so um, things like the infrastructure needs and, and help for um, the distance learning and the, the companies that are trying to provide that 
to help the rural communities have greater access to to learning opportunities as well as medicine. Likewise, um, the the business guaranteed loan programs that we have help businesses in rural communities of any size uh, refinance or to start. So those are the programs that continue on. Um, and we also have a significant program in our housing sector to help both with um, um, direct money for single-family housing and also for multifamily housing as well. And then, of course, we also have the, the third of our agencies, the, the, there are three, one that works with housing, one that works with utilities, and, and the utilities also um, helps with the infrastructure, both in water, electric, and then the telecom, and then the high-speed internet. So all of these programs um, work together. We work across the agencies within RD to make sure we're consistent in our, um, in our communications and outreach to our customers and our rural communities, our tribes, and throughout the country, but also that the program delivery has consistency and makes it easier for our customers to navigate through and understand the many different programs. And likewise, we also work across our federal family with other federal agencies to make sure that, that the regulations that are um, maybe applied in other agencies that, that would have an impact on the projects and the customers that we're working with, that we are fully aware of those and, and coordinate with any um, bottlenecks or communications. Uh, SBA is a one that we have worked with a long time to make sure that we are communicating their programs and our programs and that people understand the differences and the opportunities where there may be to um, partner with both to help make some uh, project happen. And looking at the response to COVID-19, you mentioned quite a few different grants and loan opportunities that you guys have been working on. How can folks apply or find out more information about those different programs? Well, thank you for um, giving me the opportunity to share. We have a wonderful website, and it's um, www.rd.usda.gov. And in Iowa, in fact, that um, you can go to each state. You can go to Iowa. There is a state director, um, and they're listing on the website as well. And But I really want to point out that we actually have a um, – you can go in and find the link for COVID, or you can search right in the, the search engine for COVID-19, and it takes you to all the resources that we have available, including um, some documents. One of them is um, COVID-19 Federal Rural Resource Guide. And this guide is like a toolkit for all the resources, not just within rural development, but also um, across all of our federal families. And um, we have put it together that so that um, the rural communities can use this to provide to get information about immediate and long-term assistance. And um, it, it helps with technical assistance, training and management, any financial assistance that may be available, and also um, some information about state and local resources. So I really encourage people to look at that resource guide. It is, um, again, at www.rd.usda.gov. We also have a document that combines all the many um, things that we have done to address our existing customers and provide them some relief from perhaps um, 
immediate payment schedules, especially in this time when so many businesses are not able to operate, um, and all of our programs, and, and they're all um, guaranteed loan programs, we have information there with um, the servicing action flexibilities that we are able to offer to customers to give them some relief at this time. And Betty, as I... And that's we, on the website as well. I'm sorry? No, I was just going to say, Betty, as we uh, look to wrap up this conversation, do you have any words of wisdom or encouragement for people out in rural America who are dealing with all of this uncertainty? Well, um I will tell you, I'm just so proud of our rural communities and how I grew up in a rural community, and I know just how resilient and um, the ingenuity that it just is everywhere in rural communities. And I, I think that uh, first and foremost, foremost, and again, rural communities are very good at this, is partnering together that we know it as a, a federal agency that we can't solve all the problems, but we have been working very closely with all our rural lenders, having um, constant communication with them, with their other federal families and um, local government agencies and other businesses. And together, I think it's really important that we all work together. And I, um, I know we will come through this if we are all working together. That makes the real difference. And I would love to um, just share with communities that they're my hero. They have worked so hard, and I have such great stories as I've reached out to our teams and to some of our customers, and I've heard the stories of people um, continuing to farm, continuing to operate, and then also volunteering for the local rescue squad and or, or sewing masks to give to their local community nursing homes and hospital and other health facilities. And just um, and our team members at Rural Development that are uh, working remotely, but picking up that phone and on the first call saying, um, good morning, USDA Rural Development, how may I help you? And so everybody is out helping, and I really see that in spite of all the crisis and, and so much of the uncertainty and, and um, maybe negative news that we're hearing, there's so much good that's out there, and so much of it is coming from rural communities. So uh, I appreciate what everyone is doing, and I know we'll get through this together. Well, Betty Brand, thank you so much for joining today. Well, thank you so much for having me. Well, again, a big thank you there to Betty. We know she is definitely keeping busy, busy as is all other USDA and government employees who are trying to get us through these tough times and little unknown when those are going to end. But again, we'll mention it here. Check out the episode we had on last week with Glenn Birnbaum if you've got questions about whether you qualify for the Paycheck Protection Program, because you might and be surprised to learn that you could qualify for those. Absolutely. Get the money while it's on offer. Cash flow is going to be tight this year. Prices are struggling. Eh, you know, when somebody hands you a 50, you take it. That's my take, Delaney. Yeah. Well, you got to pay taxes on it, so... Well, yeah, I mean, nothing. Uh, there's no such thing as a free lunch. But I tell you what, Delaney, that's a lie. Because there is a free lunch. If you listen to this podcast, you're always getting free information. All we ask is about 30 minutes of your time to tune in. And you can catch up on past episodes by going to our website at agnewsdaily.com or interact with us on social media. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at agnewsdaily. And listeners, I have a special request. Delaney, would you mind if I ask a favor? 
Okay, let's hear it. Folks, I am trying to learn more about the spring wheat market. It's not a market I've ever traded or dealt with. I'm trying to wrap my head around it in a little greater detail. If you've got a resource that you really like for spring wheat, either in terms of uh, price forecasting or general knowledge about the industry, shoot it over to me. Find me on Twitter at Pearson Cattle or on Facebook at Mike Pearson, probably. And, uh, and let me know. Uh, I'd really appreciate the assistance. It'll make me smarter and hopefully that'll make the podcast better, Delaney. Absolutely, Mike. You might might share some of those resources with me as well because I'm not a spring wheat expert either. Right. It's one of those markets traded up there in Minneapolis that we just don't touch on all that often, but it is phenomenally important to a lot of our growers in the north central U.S. So folks, make us smarter. Tell us about spring wheat. With that, Delaney, shall we let the listeners go? Let's let them go. (laughs) 